going to go ahead and continue with our worship this morning. You guys can be seated. We're going to take communion this morning. So song means to you. It didn't mean much to me as a child. I was raised in church, but how many know you can go to church and it not really impact your heart? But I was thinking as I was sitting there, what if a judge was going to, would go down to a prison and simply declare that everyone in that prison, their crimes have been 
forgiven. Their crimes have been paid for, and he let every one of them out and just let them go. Now, that probably wouldn't be good for society, but how many know the prisoners would be pretty excited about that? Well, that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. What we're remembering today in communion is that God has made a way that our sins could be forgiven. And hear me today, because I know there's many of you in my own life. I'd been a Christian 20 years, and I had a particular sin, something that that, uh, happened in my teenage years that I felt shame over, I felt condemnation over, and I just felt God could never forgive this. But can I tell you, that's a lie from the devil. Because as you hold this in your hands today, it means that no matter what I've done, if I look to Christ, he can give me a brand new start. And I'll tell you, as I was holding this yesterday, something I felt the Lord say to me was this, tell them that the best is yet to come. And what I mean by that is the passage in John where Jesus said this, don't let your heart be troubled because you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, are many dwelling places. It's a very personalized sense that in heaven there's going to be a place to live, there's going to be things to do. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So I want to tell you, my friends, the best is yet to come. This life may have trouble in it, but guess what? Because of Jesus, we can always have hope for the morrow. We can have hope, come on, that the future is bright because of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read a passage to you in Corinthians. Paul the Apostle said these words because in communion, how many know we look backwards at what Christ has done for our forgiveness? But how many know in communion we also look to the day? Because Jesus, my friend, is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And uh, the Bible says he's at the right hand of our Father in heaven, and he's praying and interceding for us. So we look today. Jesus is not a faraway dead God, but how many know he's alive? But the third thing is we look ahead to a great day when Christ comes again. And in communion, I hope today that not only do you pause and ask for God's forgiveness for what you've done wrong, but I pray that you ask God for his help to be living in such a way so that when Jesus comes back, it'll be a glorious day for you. Listen to what Paul said. I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke that bread And he said, take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Lord, as we hold this in our hand today, would you somehow let the Holy Spirit reveal to us the love that God has for us. The fact that the judge of all the earth one day came down to earth years ago and sacrificed his life on a cross. He gave me the opportunity for a brand new life, for forgiveness and hope for the morrow. And I pray that this truth would sink deeply in our hearts and motivate the way we live. Bless us this day, God, as we receive communion and heal those that are sick in our midst. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant or new promise in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as you often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Can you say it with me? Until he comes. So this cup reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for our forgiveness. As we stand before God today, we embrace that wonderful promise in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But also with this cup, I forgive those that have sinned against me so my heart can be pure before God. So let's lift our cup to heaven today and say, Lord Jesus, help us be ready when you come back. 
Don't let us be living in the world. Don't let us be, be ignoring your plan and purpose. But let us diligently serve you all the days of our life. And we welcome your presence and rejoice in your soon coming. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Hey, let's stand back to our feet and worship with another song or two.
noise for the Lord this morning if you believe that. Lord, we believe that you're worthy. Amen, amen. All right, we want to uh, we want you to love on a couple of people around you. Make your way back to your seats this morning. You are worthy of it Church on the Rock. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through small groups, classes, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the connect room where you'll receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our Saturday night meal and snacks between our Sunday morning services. Also, the coffee bar is always open. We are so glad you're here, and we hope that you know there is always a place for you at Church on the Rock. shapes and sizes. They're not better or worse than each other. They're just different. But something can happen in every church, everywhere. Even as we participate together in our worship services, we can still feel very alone, even here in our church. Good people can attend church for months, even years, and never really be known by anyone. Many choose to hide in the larger crowd, and we're not criticizing anyone for that. But some of us really need to build stronger relationships, and we know it. Life groups are smaller groups of people who meet together, formed around the understanding and application of God's Word. Our joys, our challenges, and our disappointments all have one common thread. We were never designed to go through them. Fall semester starts in August, and now is the time for leaders to sign up and fill out applications for our ministry guide. Pick up an application in the Connect Room or foyer. If you are considering leading a group for the first time, just pick up an application and talk with Pastor Mike or Sharon Ulmer. There's a list of DVDs and other suggestions for material to lead a small group that comes with the application. Well, amen. How's everybody doing? Glad you're in the air-conditioned building. Like that 100 degree heat out there? Hey, it won't be long, and uh, we'll be praying for warm weather. Maybe, maybe not. Hey, I just got back from South Dakota. I mean, it had a hard time hitting 77 during the day, so uh, I walk out at night, and it's like, what's going on here? We want to welcome you to Church on the Rock. As you saw in the video, we're getting ready to launch our small groups, what we call life groups, and it'll be in the mid-August, but now's the time for leaders to sign up. 
Small groups are so vital to the health of a church. It's like the backbone of the church because that's where you get discipled. That's where you make friends. That's where you grow. It's just so important to get connected and be a part of a small group. But you can't have a small group without a leader. So we're really calling out for leaders. Really ask the Lord if it's time to step out and lead because in Ephesians it says the pastors, the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists are here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Is there any saints out there? If you're not a saint, you're an eight. Any saints out there? Okay, a lot of saints. But God has something for you to do. So whether it's lead a small group and put on a DVD in your home or in one of our classrooms and, and just talk about it a little bit and pray a little afterwards. Uh, but also, if you have a passion, we've had people that have uh, enjoyed golfing, so they started a small group, and they do golf scrambles and just pray before, have a little Bible study afterwards. I mean, people with crocheting, uh, teaching dogs, anything like that. A passion you have, you can use it to give God glory and get other people to get connected. Amen? So uh, sign up for that. Applications in the foyer and a list of uh, different uh, opportunities you can do to help serve or get involved in. Uh, we're going to continue our worship with our offering. And it's really about stewardship. It's kind of the point I want to make today or just remind us to ask God to give us wisdom and grace to be good stewards of His finances. Because when it comes to money, first of all, there's just a lot of questions. You know, uh, you know, how do I feel about money? How do I earn money? How do I spend money? You know, how do we give money? And God has a lot of answers in His words, Word about that. And in Matthew uh, 25, there's a story about people that were challenged as stewards. They were given talents. And the last guy that was given talents just kind of buried him. And, and Jesus said you could at least, uh, you know, put it in a bank and made interest. So I want you to think a minute that every, not just about the 10% that we give, that we return to the Lord and God redeems the rest, but about the 100%. Because we're called to be stewards over everything we have, our talents, our time, and our treasure. If you were just started working for somebody and they gave you $100 and say, hey, I want you to go down and I want you to buy supplies, but I want you to be wise. I want you to be careful how you spend and do the best you can. Now, when you walk up with that $100 bill, you want to come back and you want that boss to say, man, good job. And if you, because it's not your money. And so you just think different. When we have money in our pocket, well, I'll just do what I want. It's my money and I can do whatever. But all of a sudden when you shift and say, hey, this is God's money, everything. And I want to be a good steward. So when this is all over, God looks at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. How many want to say a prayer right now for God to give us wisdom to be good stewards? Amen. Well, Father, we come before you, and we need your help and grace. There's just all kinds of voices, and, and we got these bills and those bills and, and this need and that need. And, Lord, we want to be good stewards of everything, not just our finances, but even our time and our talent, whether we need to lead a small group right now, whether we need to get involved in a ministry, Lord. We want to just hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Continue to give this church wisdom, too. Do not just make an impact in this city and in this nation, but all around the world, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give.
Jesus a big hand this morning. Come on, really give it up for the Lord. He is good to me. Before you're seated, you know, the scripture says it's in Christ we live and move and have our being. All that we have and all that we are, all that we'll ever be is because of God. Come on, the oxygen in the air that I've got to have to live that I can't see and can't create on my own. I mean, no God even provides these things. So we just want to pause this morning and just say, Lord, every good thing in our life is from you. Can we just do that now? Just slip your hands to heaven and just say, Lord, I want to thank you today that my health, that the people that love me, Lord, my car, my home, whatever money I have, job, Lord, everything in my life is from you. The Bible says, you know, every hair on my head, everything I've ever done or said, but you still love me. And Lord, you give me a chance to be your son or your daughter. So Lord, I just want to say today that I want to love you back. I want to love you with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. You just say that. Say, Holy Spirit, I just welcome you today. This church is not just a tradition for me. It's not an obligation. But, Lord, I want to come because I want to be closer to you. I want to know your ways. And, Lord, I would pray today for, Lord, all of us have things we struggle with, we wrestle with. I just pray that the peace of God would permeate our soul. Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you to wash away the things from our life that are harmful. Just give us a brand new fresh start today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you are looking good this morning. It's great to see you. Okay, I've got a little prop I'm going to have the ushers give to you today, but they're going to come back around, and it's a rubber band. And I want everybody to take one. Just go ahead and take it and put it on your wrist. But here's the deal. Don't revert back to your childhood. No shooting rubber bands, okay? Nobody shoot your rubber band at me because we have a rubber band patrol and they would escort you to the jail cell. But seriously, I want you to take one. Everybody take one and put it on your wrist and uh, you'll see what we're going to do with it later on. But we've been doing a series called Problems and Promises. And the idea is that no matter what I face in life, whatever challenge, whatever problem I have, God has a promise, a promise in His Word, a promise from His Holy Spirit that He's going to help me get through that thing, that there's a way, there's a plan that God is with me and I'm not facing it alone. How many are glad for that? Well, that's where we're going to focus. I've also been sharing testimony. I went through a, a health crisis several months ago. It's still kind of waning down, but uh, my adrenal glands quit. quit just, they weren't functioning right, and uh, it was a turned into a chemical imbalance, and it just, I, just not good. I was struggling with anxiety in a way that I've never experienced before, and I found God's help in the Word of God. Now, I want to pick up where I left off last week, 1 Peter chapter 5. This was a promise God gave me. He said in verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And if I could just wipe the slate clean in every one of our lives today, let me say your heavenly Father cares about you. We're created in his image. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. In the midst of my difficulty, I realized in my heart what I knew in my head that God still cares about me. It's hard to figure out in a broken world sometimes why bad things happen to, you know, if we say good people, but why bad things happen. Because we do live in an evil world, a world that bears the, 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 the repercussions of Adam and Eve's mistake. But he went on to say this, and this is where we were last week. Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil. 
Not a, 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 a picture of mythology, not something from the past when we were uneducated, but a real live spiritual being prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I realized he was trying to gobble me up. But the Bible said, verse 9, resist him firm in the faith. Now, last week we talked about how to resist evil, how to resist a spiritual attack, what spiritual warfare is about. Because what I realized in my own life, what began as a physical problem, I, it was some physiological issues going on in my body, it spilled into my emotions. And I would find this sense of foreboding, and then fear began to creep in my life. And how many know that opened the door to a spiritual attack? Because, because what starts physically can end up spiritually, and that's what I found I was grappling with. So last week we talked from Ephesians 6 about fighting an unseen enemy. We talked about our armor and our weapons. Well, this morning I want to focus on the battleground of our mind. Because I suggest to you that most of the spiritual warfare we engage in is not something out there, but it's what's going on in our mind. It's thoughts that would come into our, 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 our mind. It's what we do with these thoughts. And up front, let me say this. First of all, most of the things that I think about are generated from within. Most of them come from my experiences. They come from my worldview, what I've learned, uh, my outlook on life. But I'm going to show you from the Scripture today that the Bible says in some very real way, evil is able to influence my thinking. Satan is able to influence my thinking, this force of darkness. And the challenge to you this morning will be, as I've entitled the message, the battleground of our minds... The challenge is, is that we somehow lay hold of these lies, of these thoughts that are destructive, and take them into captivity and cast them down and live by the truth and not the lie. So that's what we're going to talk about. But I want to show you a little video clip to kind of warm you up to it. And it's about a young man that's thinking about suicide. And there's two voices or two thoughts that he's listening to. They're personified. One is representing the Lord. It's God. It's the, it's the good. It's truth. And one is representing evil or it's representing lies. And I think this will bring you kind of in touch as we face similar battles in life. So take a peek here at the video, and then we'll talk about the battleground of our mind. So unfortunate that it had to come to this. You're probably wondering who I am. Well, I go by many names, but let's just say I'm someone who understands the pain that you walk around with. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be with me. Don't listen to him, Kane. Angel. Demon. As much as I would love to entertain your bull right now, I'm kind of in the middle of something, so if you'll excuse us. Son, I know that you're going through hell right now, but I promise you that hell won't last forever. Do you know what hell is? This. This right here is hell. And as long as you walk around with this, hell will always exist. That's why it's important that you control your thoughts. Don't let your thoughts control you. Don't take the easy way out. Easy. You call walking around, not wanting to live anymore, easy. Every thought, every feeling, every emotion, everything that it took for him to get to this point, 
You think holding that gun in his hand right now is easy? You deserve to be happy. You do, Kane. You deserve to be happy. But this, this is not the way that you get it. Think about everything you'll be leaving behind. Yes, Angel, let's think about exactly what he'll be leaving behind. Everyone that you thought was a friend. All the people with the same blood as you coursing through their veins, the ones that you call family. Where are they, Cain? Right now, in this moment, when you need them the most. God said that he would never leave nor forsake you. He would never give you anything that you couldn't handle. Oh, spare me to God's speech. Want to know what the truth is? The truth is there is no God. There is no God. A lie or the truth? Because what you believe will determine what you do next. The battleground of your mind. Let's begin in Acts chapter 5. Let me show you first, biblically, what the Bible says about Satan's ability to influence our thoughts and our feelings. Let me speak to the skeptical side of your life because raised in America, we're raised in a secular world that says there are no angels or demons. These are the figments of the imaginations of simple minds and preachers. But the Bible will show us that Satan does have influence. What you choose to believe about it is up to you. But Acts chapter 5, verse 1, it's early in the New Testament church. It's shortly after the day of Pentecost. There are thousands of believers. They've come from all over the Roman Empire to Jerusalem. They've received Christ. The world has, has changed literally overnight. But now they don't have jobs. They don't have any place to live. And Christians are willingly donating property and housing and lands to sell it and then to be able to take care of their brothers and sisters. Now, it opens up with a man named Ananias. He and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and he brought only a part of it and laid at the apostles' feet. Now, let's just say maybe he sold it for $1,000, and he brought $800, and he gave this to the work of the Lord. And how many know that's a wonderful thing? I mean, for you to make that kind of sacrifice and give that portion of money, I mean, that's, he was a good man, clearly. I mean, he was a Christian. He was probably filled with the Holy Spirit like the rest of the gang on Pentecost in that early time of the church. I mean, this was not uh, some guy who is just barely uh, understanding his Christian faith. But notice what it said, verse 3, quite interesting. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan and filled your heart to lie? Now, could you pause on that just a second? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Now, this word filled, it's a Greek word, and it means to control or influence. Why are you allowing to Satan to control and influence? And the word heart here is not the physical organ that pumps. We'd understand it more clearly as our mind, our decision-making process, our attitudes, our feelings. Uh, so why have you allowed Satan to control the way that you think? and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? In other words, you didn't have to sell it. It belonged to you. Uh, after you sold it, was it not at your disposal? In other words, you could have done anything you wanted to with the money. But when you said the thousand, you sold it for 800 and that was the full amount, you told a lie. 
Now, for whatever reason he did this, maybe he was afraid that he wouldn't have enough for the future, maybe he loved money, maybe he wanted a, you know, a, new, uh, a new chariot, you know, a new uh, water ski, who knows what he wanted. But something was going on, and he and his wife were talking about it, and the tragedy is this. Here's what Peter asked him. He said, why is it that you have contrived or conceived this deed in your heart? So somehow you began to think about what to do and how to respond, and you made a decision, you came to a conclusion. The New International Version says, what made you think of doing such a thing? What made you think of doing such a thing? The Message Bible, what got you into, what got you to pull a trick like this? The Bible is very clear. Somehow Satan was behind this. You've not lied to man, but to God. And then a terrible tragedy, he heard these words, and he died. You say, man, I know. Here's a question I want to ask you. If it were possible for the devil to somehow trick, deceive, fool, influence, control, affect the thinking of Ananias, couldn't he do the same thing to me? Yeah. How about the guy that's wearing your shoes today? If he was able to trick someone, to control them, to influence them, to find something going on in their life, I'm convinced most of the acts of violence that happen is because Satan is somehow able to nurture anger in our hearts. And, 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 and rather than a love for our neighbor, as the Bible talks about, a hatred for people that are different from us, and all it takes is a little push to pull out a knife or a gun, and before you know it, we're populating the prisons of America. Somehow the Bible teaches us that evil is influencing the way people think. Ananias didn't resist the thought. He gave into it, and it cost him everything. Now let me give you another half dozen scriptures, just quickly go through them, just to show you that this is not isolated. But there is a real demonic being. His name is Satan. Ephesians 6 told us there's a demonic hierarchy that afflicts the earth. The Bible tells us that a third of the angels became demons when they were cast from heaven following Lucifer. Let's read a couple. John chapter 13. This is uh, Jesus in the Passover. He's with the disciples in Judas. And notice what it says. During supper, when the devil had already put into his heart, the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, how did the devil put this in his heart? If we had time, you could read the story. You remember when all along Judas was the treasurer, but the Bible tells us he loved money and he used to take it and steal it. A woman anointed Jesus' feet with some priceless perfume, and, and Judas got all upset when Jesus said it was a great thing, and he rushed out and then he betrayed Christ. So somehow he loved money, and Satan was able to push. 2 Corinthians 11, it harkens back to the book of Genesis Paul said, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived. deceived by the serpent's cunning. This is Satan. Your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion in Christ. Now, you remember the picture when, in Genesis early on when the serpent was talking to Eve about this forbidden fruit. And the devil lied and said, hey, look, it's going to make you wise. You'll enjoy it. God's withholding something good. What we fail to recognize sometimes is she was thinking about this. She was processing. She knew that God had said, don't do it, but she chose to do it anyway. And it's her thought life that preceded her actions. And how many know our thoughts will ultimately determine our future? Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower. The ones along the path. In the parable of the sower, you remember, the sower sows the word of God and it falls in different types of ground. Ground representing the heart. 
One place the seed fell was on a path of hard ground. These hear the word, but the devil, devil comes away, and what's he do? He takes away the word from their heart. Ain't that interesting? So they may not believe and be saved. Say, so, well, how could that happen? I'll give you an illustration. Later on in the service at the end, we always do this. We give people a chance to commit their life to Christ. It's not to join the church, but how many of the Bible talks about being born again, being saved? It talks about following Jesus, about repenting from our own life to turn to follow Christ and receive Him as Savior and follow Him as Lord. Well, that's called conversion. And I'll give an opportunity at the end of the message for you. Maybe you want to make that step to Christ. I wonder if a thought might come to your mind at that point and say, that's not real. The Bible's not true. That's just some preacher made up something because he just wants your money. Or, or maybe you are agreeing with it, but the thought comes in your mind, yeah, but you don't have to go up there now. You don't have to pray in front of Just do it at home. And chances are when you get home, you'll forget. Is it just possible that Satan may work in the lives of people today just like he did in the Scripture? Here's another one. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, talking about the unbeliever. In their case, the God of this world, a term for Satan, has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. How does the devil blind our mind? Is it just possible that we've all been schooled on, the, uh, uh, on evolution? That first of all, it tells us the earth just kind of got here. Some believe that there was a, uh, there was a planet and this planet exploded and uh, it, it, it yielded gases and these gases kind of rocked and rolled a little bit and got together and said, let's create the earth and let's create the sun and the stars and let's put it all in the perfect perspective and let's make it rotate just perfectly so they don't burn up or freeze. And these gases are just doing this for no reason of their own just because they want to somehow... And, and, and there's no, nothing guiding them, and there's no deliberate hand. It's just kind of happening. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden there's water on the earth, and then a, a, a bug crawls out, an amoeba, and the amoeba turns into a salamander, and the salamander turns into a monkey, and the monkey turns into you. It takes more faith to believe that than it does. That there is a deliberate creator that created and sustains the world in its perfect balance. But if you've been taught that, and now the preacher's talking from the Bible, and now he talks about the devil, and all of a sudden, you know what? That's just, you know, that's just for simple-minded people. You're smarter than that. Amen. Is that possible? How One of the ways the God of this world may blind people's minds? I think so. How about Ezekiel 38? It's speaking about the enemies of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on that day... Thoughts will come into your mind and you'll devise an evil scheme. Thoughts will come into your mind and you'll devise an evil scheme. I wonder how many people who've committed suicide, who've committed murder, who've raped, who've gone to a party and all of a sudden they're doing things they wish they'd have never done. Is it just possible that there's something influencing our mind and if we're not resisting the life, we're not resisting evil with truth, we get swallowed up by it? You see, Satan wants to influence your thought life because what we think about determines what we do. What we think about determines who we are. Our mind is like a garden, and either vegetables or weeds will grow. I love to garden, but here's what I know. If I don't pull up the weeds this year, in the coming years, there's going to be hundreds and thousands more. 
And the second thing I know is my wife's not going to pull them up, and my daughters are not going to pull them up. So i got to go out there with my bucket and pull them up. My grandmother used to say, one year seeding, seven years weeding. And what she meant was one little seed in one little plant will produce hundreds of other seeds. Now think about the same thing in your thought life. When you allow something to get going in your mind, I don't care if it's lust. I don't care if it's a destructive pattern about your self-esteem, about your worth, your value. You look in the mirror and you begin to hate yourself. You say you're unlovable. Nobody cares about me. There's no future for my life. There's no hope. I'm ugly. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, the color of my skin, my gender, my blah, 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 blah. And before you know it, this is just, just all up there in your mind. This is what we're talking about this morning. And I'm going to show you how to work through this. But let's talk about good thoughts and bad thoughts or truth and lies. I was shocked this week when I got the paper... One morning, I looked at it, and I read this headline, Man Was Shot Nine Times at a Local Business, Summerhill, just right up the road. And then I looked at the picture, and I knew the woman. Her name's Ann. I knew her about 15 years ago, and she was serving the Lord. I knew her, and she was involved in street ministry and helping broken people go into jails and prisons. Now she's on the front page of the newspaper and she shot her son-in-law. Two people that attend our church were working there and it was a horrible, horrible tragedy. How did it happen? Now I don't know any more than what the paper said, but here's what I'll tell you. Thoughts were in her mind that she did not control. Whether these thoughts were true or her feelings were there. And before you know it, her feeling made her devise a scheme. Her feeling made her, her thoughts made her pick up a gun. Her thoughts caused her to go to that place. Her thoughts caused her to, to shoot that man. And her thoughts caused her to run away. And now she's in jail and I guarantee you she resists. She, 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 she is, feels bad about what she did just like Judas did after he betrayed Jesus. You say, how could this happen? The devil begins to influence your thinking. How different it would have been if when this, all this emotion came up in her and all these thoughts, if the Word of God had been in her life in a deeper fashion and it would have come up inside her, love your neighbor instead of yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. If thoughts would have come inside her of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. But somehow the truth was laid aside and the lie was embraced and lives are destroyed everywhere. This is exactly how it happens. You say, Pastor, explain this to me. I'll tell you easily, friend. Satan is the author of the lies we believe. John 8, 44, the words of Jesus himself. He said, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Now listen to this. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here's my question. Who does he lie to? Anybody that'll listen. He is a liar. How, how does he do it? How does he, how does he lie to us? I'll tell you how he tried to lie to me when I was at the worst place of this anxiety issue. He lied to me and he'd whisper in my ear, you'll never pastor again. It was a feeling that started. I guarantee you there was a couple months in there that I could not have done what, I, what I'm able to do today. And I'm grateful to God for it. But I want to tell you this, that lie became real. Because from the time, I, the only time I'd have peace was when I was asleep and I slept well. The problem is, 
From the time I woke up in the morning to the time I went to bed at night, I had a sense of foreboding about me. This sense that something bad is about to happen. And before I knew it, it began to cascade in my life. And I'm telling you, friend, what had a physiological root to it became a spiritual problem. And I was allowing a lie to determine my future. How, how, does, how does a guy, a 46-year-old man, end up on the front page of our newspaper yesterday, arrested in Houston as one of the FBI's top ten that they're looking for in terms of child abusers and child molesters? How does that happen? I guarantee if you trace it back, you look, and there was, there was some kind of sexual addiction going on. There was some kind of embrace of pornography. And before you knew it, it became perverted. And rather than resisting the thoughts and feelings... You just keep clicking. You just keep going. And before you know it, what started out as some attraction to a woman becomes an attraction to a teenager, then it's an attraction to a child, and then it's perverse. And before you know it, you've opened yourself up. Come on. Just like Judas Iscariot did, just like Eve did, and Satan is, is, is treating us like a puppet. Our thought life is where these things happen. He lies to us. We fight the truth. Or we fight lies with truth. Now hear me. We fight lies with truth. We make our decisions and our choices based on truth, not lies. Here's what Jesus told us the truth is. Jesus said in John 17, he said, your word is truth. Come on, when I do this, I'm not just scratching my ears here. I want you to, to read what the scripture says on the screen. Your word is truth. The Bible, the word of God is truth. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you Free. And isn't that what we're looking for when we're being tormented? Yeah. When we're in down, when the problem is overwhelming, we want to be free. Now, let me tell you about the power of God. And this is why I encourage you so often to read your Bible and to stay with it. And not just for facts, but because of its power to change a life. Listen, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is Living and active. You say, well, not my Bible. My Bible is, is, is ink and it's pages and paper or it's electronic and I go to it. I know, but there's something different about the Word of God. It has spiritual power. Listen to what it says. It says, this Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Listen now. Discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What does that mean? That means at a deep level, the Bible can affect our thinking. That we literally at a deep level, somehow, if, if truth and lies are fighting against each other, somehow the Word of God has spiritual power. Here's how it worked in my life. I live with this feeling six, eight weeks. You'll never pastor again. You'll never be able to go back. And I didn't feel like I could do it. And I didn't have the capability. But it was a lie. And the truth one day, when I read that scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5, the scripture said, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you will himself restore you, will himself confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And it was like the lights came on. And now, did it, did it all change that day, Pastor? No. But what happened, every day that thought would overwhelm me, and I'd lay in bed for 45 minutes, and, my, and I just, all this stuff is just cascading in my mind. And Well, I'll have to go on disability, and then we won't have as much money. We might have to sell the house. But all of a sudden, when I read that scripture, I stopped and I said, enough. Enough. I can't restore myself, but the God who called me, come on, the God who created me, 
He can restore me. And can I tell you, I'm standing before you today. I'm not laying in the bed and I'm not in some hospital because of the goodness of God. Come on, because of his grace and because of his mercy, but because I fought back with truth. And that's what 1 Peter chapter 5 says. You've got to resist him because he's a murderer and he's a thief and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy from your life and mine. Come on. And it's time we said enough. Now, let me say this, and I'm going to end up real practical. But your feelings can lie. Feelings can lie. But I believe most of us make our decisions on how we feel. We even, as spirit-filled people, make God decisions about how we feel. I've talked to Christian women before, and, and uh, I'm leaving my husband. Well, uh, why are you doing that? I'm not happy. Well, being happy is a good thing, but let me ask you this. Has, has he been adulterous? Has he been immoral? No. Um, has he been violent? No. Does he, does he not provide for it? Well, no. I said, well, what is it? Well, well I'm just not happy. I said, have you tried to work this? Have you got counseling? Have you, have you tried to get some help? Have you tried to rekindle? No. But I, I, I met this guy at work, and, and he makes me happy. Well, you're deceived, dear. Something is amiss. Your feelings have become so strong. And listen now, when you hook up with somebody, there are chemicals released in your body physically that bond you to that person, and it makes it more difficult. But the feelings are not true. They are valid, but they are not true. What is, listen, what was, when all this chemical imbalance is going on in me, and I felt this sense of dread and something bad's going to happen, I'm telling you, Something bad's going to happen. I get in my truck, and I don't even want to go to the restaurant with my wife. And we're out somewhere, and I feel like I can't even stay there because this feeling says something bad's going to happen. I know it's real, but I'm telling you this, friend. I, I, I went to a counselor, and I'm grateful for doctors. They helped, but they didn't make it go away. But I went to a Christian counselor, and that counselor told me, you're living by your feelings, not your faith, and you're letting your, fa- your feelings control your life rather than resisting in faith. Doesn't your Bible say we live by faith and not by sight? Yeah. So at some point, I had to stand up and say, I'm going to believe the Word of God. Yeah. And I began to write it down in my journal. I began to confess it. I began to say it out loud. My wife would even say, how are you feeling? And for weeks I said, I don't feel good. I feel worse. But one day I said, you know what? I feel better than I did yesterday, and I'm going to feel better tomorrow than I did today. Because he who began the good work in me, he's going to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, your faith will take you out of the ditch. Your faith will help you. Your faith in the truth of God's Word will help you overcome the monster in your mind. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Because here's the deal. When lies and feelings work together, you have a deadly combo about to destroy your life. I am fully convinced that's why people commit suicide, because the lie is in their head, because the lie that says it's not going to work out, it's not worth living, uh, you should be ashamed of what you've done, and all of a sudden you feel depressed, and the devil wins. Now, let me spend the last couple of minutes. How do I control my thoughts? How do I tend this garden of my mind? Let's base this on Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Paul speaking to those who oppose him, both in and out of the church. And here's what he said. He said, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. Now, we're talking about spiritual warfare. He says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. 
You remember from Ephesians 6, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, your, 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 your gospel feet on a mission, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit was how we fight. He says it's spiritual. Your weapons have divine power to demolish Stronghold. Now here's the question. What is a stronghold? Listen to what he says. We demolish arguments and every pretension or lofty opinion that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What's he talking about? Mental stuff. We take captive every And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So here's a picture of these little thoughts that are going over in your head and stop. 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 Whether they're sinful thoughts, lustful thoughts, thoughts that nobody loves me, nobody cares about me. I'll never get married. My life is, is just worthless. I just wish somebody loved me. How about for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, if the God of all heaven loves you and has called you his daughter, has called you his son, I want to tell you, you are lovable and the feeling is a lie. Yeah. It has to respond with truth. So let's go to, as far as taking thoughts captive, it's like recognizing the weed and pulling it up. Let me give you three things. They're worth writing down, but the notes are on the Internet. And here's the first one, and it's simple but profound, and it is this. Be aware what thoughts are taking root in your mind. Be aware. I'm telling you, the first 45 minutes when I was out of bed in my dark time, I, I didn't want to get out of bed. I was trying to get healthy, and I was exercising and eating right and trying to sleep longer. But for 45 minutes, I was tormented until I got out of the bed. Are you with me? And this feeling became a thought that took me into a deeper, darker place. Our thoughts determine our actions and future. And here's the biblical basis for this. Proverbs 23 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So is he. Whatever you're thinking about is going to determine your future. I don't care if it's your self-esteem. I don't care if it's your mental health. I don't care what it is in life. What you're allowing to think, the thoughts in your mind to grow, will determine what the future will be. You say, well, what do I do then? Well, how about when you hop out of the bed in the morning, you quote the psalm that says, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, and I will act as if that's true. Come on, even if I don't feel like it's true. I can tell you from experience, it's a lot better than, How you doing, honey? <laughs> Not good. I need to go back to the doctor. I, I know it helped a little, but... I don't, I don't feel good. Can, can we just stay home? Do we have to go anywhere? I don't want to. I'm tired. I'm depressed. I'm just, I just, I, I don't, I don't. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You say, well, that's the power of positive thinking. No, that's the power of the Word of God that is resident within it to be able to shape the way that I think and my outlook on life. Here's the second thing. Ask yourself this question. Is what I'm thinking about the truth or a lie? It's almost as if you step out of yourself. Is what I'm thinking about right or wrong? And this pause, it's based on Romans 12, verse 2. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be 
transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern the will of God. What does that mean? To be transformed is the word from which in biology they get the term metamorphosis, where a worm turns into a butterfly. The miracle of the worm to the butterfly is a metamorphosis, and the Bible says we're to have the same kind of transformation in our mind. And how do we do that? By renewing our mind with what? With truth, with the Word of God. So when you're thinking about whatever your thoughts are, the question is, are my thoughts true or are they false? And if you don't know, ask a spiritually minded person. I'm telling you, my friend, whether it's not loving yourself, not feeling you're going to be capable for the morrow, whatever thoughts are growing in your mind, my friend, you need to figure out, is that a God thought I'm going to let grow or is that a lie, come on, that I'm going to, that I'm going to put under my foot? And that'll keep you from murdering somebody. It'll keep you from date rape. It'll keep you from raping somebody. Come on. That'll keep you out of, out, out, out of the lulls in life that try to keep you down when you are able to ask yourself that Simple question, what am I thinking about? And stop the process. Here's the third and the last one. You need to choose to resist the lie and think about what's true. You say, well, that's impossible because my thoughts overwhelm me. Listen to what the Bible says. Philippians 4, 8. It says, whatever is true. Now, stay with me. There's a lot of things. Whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, any excellence or anything worthy of praise, then what's it say? Think about these things. Whatever is true, think about these things. Now, Pastor, is it, would God tell you to do something you couldn't do? The feeling may say it's impossible to do it, but I'm telling you the feeling is not the truth. God says I can give my mind to things that are true. Yeah. And I'm telling you, when you begin to meditate on the truth more than the lie, you'll find yourself coming out of the ditch and becoming the person that God wants you to be. Now, let me help you as we wind up here. Let's go to the little rubber band here. This is a little tool here. It's a tool to help you when you are thinking about lies or when you're thinking about things that are destructive. I just want to check, make sure it works here. Come on, take yours now. Just, just take it up about three or four inches there and give it a little test run. Did it work? Okay, if you're, I want you to go about six inches now because this has three settings. It's a low, a medium, and a high. Yeah, yeah, so, so that's probably medium right, right, right now. Uh, I, I've used this about six times since I've been here this morning today, and I want to tell you, it, it, it jolts me back into reality. And whether it's the thought of a lie or whether it's a feeling, because I'm telling you, friend, I'm not fully over what I'm grappling with, and I feel that sense of foreboding sometimes in everything I do I'm trying to take authority over that thing. Come on, in the name of Jesus, because I'm not living by faith, by sight. I'm living by faith, and I'm believing the God who started the good work in me is the God that's going to bring it to completion. Let me give you one more thing that will help you, and I rarely do this, but I want to recommend, uh, recommend something. There's a doctor. Her, it's a woman. Her name is Dr. Carolyn Leaf, L-E-A-F. Think of the leaves on a tree. She does this deal called a 21-day brain detox. She's a Christian. She'll get you worshiping and praising. But it was about 10 minutes a day. I downloaded it on my phone. It was an app, Dr. Caroline Leaf, 21-day brain detox. And for 10 minutes a day, I worked on this with a Christian. And I want to tell you, it helped. All right. Let me, let me wrap up here. If Satan can influence our thinking, we've got to take every thought captive. I mean, you cannot allow it to grow in your mind. Or he'll pull you in a ditch. Here's the, what I think is one of the greatest verses of the day, and I'm going to close with this.
It's Proverbs 4.23. I want you to say this with me. He said, above all else. Now that's like underlining it, put an asterisk by it, circle it. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard what you're thinking about because your thoughts will determine what you do. Your thoughts will determine if you pick up the gun or if you get out on your knees and pray. Your thoughts will determine whether you work through your marriage problems or whether you give up. Your thoughts will determine whether you sink deeper and deeper into the pit of despair or if you will see light as you open the door of faith. My friend, Satan wants to destroy us, but God wants to give us life. And I'm telling you, he's given us power in our thinking to shape our future. Don't let Satan take it from you. Make a commitment today that you're going to use this little tool and you start on the low and you go to medium, you go to high. But I promise you, it'll help you as you renew your mind with truth and believe God come on for a brighter tomorrow. Think about what thoughts am I thinking, number one. Is it true or is it false? And then make the choice to stay with the truth and resist the false until you get to the other side. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. I'm, I, I'm done. Why don't you stand to your feet? And we're just going to just pray right now. Just slip your hands to heaven and say, Lord, help truth sink deeply in me right now. Come on, I want you to pray for yourself right now. All we did today is we probably looked at 20 different scriptures that talk about the power of our minds and talks about Satan's desire to control and influence. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that this truth would get deep within us and that you would help us to start today detoxing our minds. You would help us today, Lord, get deliverance as we put on the helmet of salvation. Save us from our destructive thoughts. Reveal truth to us. Show us, show us right from wrong. Quicken us. Let the Holy Spirit be at work in our lives and, and let us resist the lie with the truth so we can become the person you've created us to be. Come on, just say, Lord, that's what I want right now. That's what I want. Hey, let's close with an opportunity for personal prayer this morning. We missed it in the middle of service because of communion, but I think it's one of the most important times in the service because Jesus said if two of you would agree is touching anything in prayer, he said he'll hear and he'll do it. So we'd like to pray for you today. Anything that's going on in your life, any, any struggles, any problems, you just need God to help you with, let us pray before you go. But I think those that God really spoke to in this message, and I know there were many, maybe God put his finger on something that you just have had a hard time. You know it's true what I said today, but you've got a thought that's rooted so deeply in you, you just don't know how to get beyond it. It's defined you. Let us pray for you today. Let us believe with you in the miracle working power of God. Most importantly, though, is we'd like to pray for you that would like to commit your life to Christ. As I was talking about earlier, a brand new start in life. Jesus said you can be born again when you pray and invite him to come in your life. Receive him as your Savior and turn your back on your sins. If you're willing to do that today, I promise you it'll be life-changing. Maybe you're a Christian and you've just gotten away from God and what you need is to get back with God. Listen, do it today. Don't let any voice or anything pull you away. God brought you here. Listen, you, God's touched your heart. Make your step to Him and make a fresh commitment to follow Jesus. So whatever it is, we're going to sing this song one time and dismiss. But I want to ask our prayer team if they'll come to the altar right now. There's men and women that are here to pray with you and pray for you and stand with you. 
As our prayer team comes, if you need prayer for any of these things now, just come on up this morning. You need prayer to commit your life to Christ. You need prayer because of a, there's a battle in your mind. Whatever it may be you need prayer in today, listen, friend, God's here. God's a prayer-answering God, and we'd love to spend some time with you. You come, let us pray. I love you very much. We'll see you Wednesday.